Ron talked about this, but if you haven't gone through our Vineyard 101 class, I want to encourage you to sign up for that and jump in. So um, it's, it's on the 17th of this month, and the reason why we do Vineyard 101 is because we are a unique church. We have a specific vision and, and values that, that, are part of, that are part of who we are. And so as we're moving forward, this is, this is, this is who we are, and we want to be very clear about that. Um, and so all churches have vision and values, um, but not all churches are like, hey, here's us. Like, we're very clearly, we very clearly communicate our, our heart behind what, what we're doing. So our mission is extravagant love, sacrificial generosity. We really believe in church health. We introduce our Thrive model to you. We go through the different components of who we are and where we're going and how we're going to get there. And um, so if you, if you haven't taken that class, I would encourage you. Um, it's great. We, ha- we, we buy food for you, a separate food from our lunch thing. And then uh, if you have kids, we watch your kids. The class is about two hours long. And so um, if you haven't taken that, I want you to encourage you to jump in. Okay? And then... Last but not least, as far as an, my announcement side of things, next week we're going to start a new series called Coffee with Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at practical ways to embody kingdom life. And the way that I was thinking about this is every Tuesday I sit at Starbucks Coffee, and you guys join me. So a lot of you guys join me, and we, you guys ask questions. And I was thinking one day, I wonder if Jesus was like, if he didn't come 2,000 years ago, he came today, I bet you that he'd sit down and he would have these conversations at a coffee shop with us. And I bet you he would listen like 90% of the time, and then the last 10%, he would say, and let me tell you about my kingdom. And let me tell you about what the kingdom's going to do. And let me tell you how the, the kingdom wants to break into your situation and change your reality. And so this series is my attempt at taking a couple issues that I think Jesus would highlight considering where culture's at today over the next couple weeks, okay? So we're going to jump into that. We always print these. They're in your communicator. The reason why we print these is for you to give to a friend or relative or a neighbor to possibly invite on the journey over the next series, okay? So I encourage you to do that. And then today we're jumping in. Um, to the last part of this current series called Unstuck, How to Rise Above the Worst Day of Your Life. And so this series, we've been saying, what do we do when life just stinks? What do we do when we've had the worst day of our life? How do we move forward? How do we recover from such a thing and such a tragedy? So if you've had a bad day, you know, I've been sharing stories of some bad days. Uh, There was this couple from North Oklahoma They decided to go to Florida during the middle of their winter. They just wanted to thaw out. They they realized North Oklahoma is just too cold. And so, but they both worked, and they were trying to figure out their schedules. So um, the wife decided to, uh, you know, she didn't have to work Friday, so she actually flew there on Thursday. And then her husband was going to join her the next day on Friday. And so they're going to spend this long weekend in Florida. Um, so the wife checks into the hotel, everything's going good, she jumps on her laptop, she checks all of her emails for her business, finally she gets to the point where she's like, I need to, I need to email my husband, make sure that he knows that I got here safely, 
And as she's emailing her husband, she leaves one letter out of the address. And her email goes to somebody else. And her email went to somebody in Texas, in Houston. And it was a widow that had just returned from his wife's funeral. The widow checked his email, expecting messages from relatives and friends just because he got, uh, he got back from the funeral. And he reads the top email and he faints. And here's why he fainted, because the computer screen read this. To my loving husband, from your departed wife, subject, I've arrived, message, I've just arrived and I've been checked in, everything has been pre prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing you then. P.S. Sure is hot down here. <laughs> what do you do on the worst day of your life? Well, 1 Samuel shares a story of King David before he was ever king. King David's worst day of his life. His possessions are stolen. His house is burned down, and his family is kidnapped. His wife and kids are kidnapped. And so David's response provides for the church today a response to recover all in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I've had some doozies. I've had horrible days where I wake up and say, how do I move forward today? Life is too difficult. But how do we wake up from some of those days that are some of the worst days we will ever experience and see God carry us into something new, to see actually restoration happen in our lives? That's what this whole series has been about. So week one, we talked about weeping. And in the middle of your weeping, don't get bitter. And then week two, we talked about encouraging yourself in the Lord and worshiping God and then getting a word from God for you in your particular situation. Week three, we talked about refocusing your vision and attacking. And last week, we talked about that. And we talked about this idea that, guess what? We are New Testament. It's very clear that our, we have an enemy, and it's a spiritual enemy. It's the devil and all the demonic realm. And we sometimes were thrown into this fight. And today, I want to talk about recovering all celebrating, and giving to others. So when the battle was over, last week we went through the end of David's story, the battle's over, and David recovered all, everything. And here is 1 Samuel 30, verse 18. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds. So their animals, their gold, silver, all of their possessions are there. Can you imagine? After this epic battle, 
the children that are hiding start running out from their hiding places. And they yell, Dad, as they jump into the arms of their father. And then all the wives come out from hiding. And all the wives get reunited with their husbands. And they kiss, and there's a tearful embrace. David and his men recovered all. Now life can deliver some blows, can't it? Some cruel blows. So I've stood in hospital rooms where I've prayed for families that were facing death was at the door. And I've, was at, I've been at gravesides. And I've prayed with those who have lost homes and loved ones and jobs and businesses. And I felt the pain of that loss. Now, but I've also come to believe in the middle of in the middle of all of that, I've also come to believe that there is a way to recover all, even on the worst day of your life. There is a way to recover all from your pain and loss that you've suffered. You can recover your dignity and your joy and your destiny. And one of the things I want you to remember today as we're kind of summarizing the series is don't let your tragedy or failure define your identity. So often, we face this horrible situation and all of a sudden that becomes our new identity. We get stuck. We get stuck in that tragedy and we don't see that that is no longer, that is not our identity. We cannot be defined by the worst day of our life. Failure and loss are events that actually happen to you. Failure and loss are not who you are. Your identity is defined in Christ. You may have been hurt, but you are not permanently broken. You may have failed, but you are not a failure. You are an overcomer in Jesus Christ. You may get knocked down, but get back up. You may lose a battle, but we will win the war. You may suffer loss, but you can recover, and you can recover all. The story of David at Ziglag is a story of restoration. And did you know that this story we've been reading, it's a story of restoration, but did you guys also know that the gospel, the story of God breaking into this world, it's also a story of restoration? It's a story of God making a choice to recover all. Have you ever asked yourself, what is salvation for? Salvation's for the recovery of everything that has been taken away. It's for the restoration of all God's things to its original intention and purpose in our lives. God created a good world, but it was lost to sin and corruption and death and our enemy. And the Bible tells us how God is in the process of recovering all. Because of the catastrophe of sin. Um, and I want you guys to know that as we've been talking about this, we've been looking at David. But also, when, if you understand what God has done in Christ, it helps connect the dots here. And so, uh, a lot of times people have said, well, you know, God can't identify with us as humans. I want you to know God identifies with us. You know that God lost 
so much during the fall of humans. And yet, at the same time, God's in the process of restoring it all. You know that God understands what it is to suffer loss as well? God understands that. Um, one time I was watching this, it's kind of like Oprah. I'm a little embarrassed to say it. It was, it was Oprah or one of those talk shows, you know. It was the middle of the day. I was, it was like 25 years ago. I was in college, and I'm staring at this TV show. And I, I shouldn't have been watching it, but anyway, I'm, I'm watching this TV show, Oprah-esque or uh, whatever it is. And um, there's this father on there that had lost his daughter. And, she, and he, as he's talking, they zoomed in his face. And as they zoomed in his face, he said, I lost my daughter to the senseless act of violence. And then he said this three times. God doesn't understand. And then he said it again. God doesn't understand. And he was angry. You could tell like there was this, it was angry. There was bitterness there. God doesn't understand. And after he said it the third time, I'm like watching this. And I like, I want to stand up. And I, I like tears came down my face. And I, and I wanted to go hug this guy. I wanted to tell him, no, you don't understand. Like, God does understand because it happened to his only son. It happened to Jesus. They murdered his son, too. God has been there. And he's walked in our shoes. And he's acquainted with bitter days, the worst days we could ever imagine. Our God is not a God that has been up in some high cloud somewhere, hanging out. No, he's acquainted with the bitterest of grief. God understands what it is to suffer. And God is no, long, God is no stranger to horror and the sorrow that David came upon when he returned home to Ziglag. And God is no stranger to the sorrow that you faced in your own devastating moments of loss. Do you know that God also knows how to recover all, though? Through the cross, God recovered all. And God will restore things through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the great mystery of the cross itself. The great mystery of the cross. What appears to be a curse becomes a blessing. What appears to be death becomes life. What appears to be shame is glory. What appears to be defeat is um, victory. What appears to be loss is the restoration of all things. First Colossians 1.9 says this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. What a beautiful text. So you may have been hit by the worst day of your life, a 21st century version of the raiding Malachites that have brought ruin to your hopes and dreams. Let me tell you, I have good news for you. I have really good news. Because there is grace that flows from the cross for you to recover all. There is grace for you to recover all, every bit in the face of bitter loss, you're going to have to rise up and say these three words, though. I will recover. It's going to take you saying that to get it. 
And actually, can, can we just say that together? I will recover. Can you say it again? I will recover. And if you can get your heart to actually believe that, let me tell you, there's no stopping what God's going to do through the middle of your tragedy. You don't have to know how it's going to happen. You don't have to know when it's going to happen. You don't have to feel like it's true. And it doesn't even have to make sense to you. It's the absurd nature of faith to believe what appears to be completely impossible. Completely impossible. I like what the early church father Tertullian said. He said, I believe because it's absurd. I believe because it's absurd. And that's what faith, faith is. It's, it's absurd. How, how in the worst day of our life could we ever recover all? But just like David, and just like Jesus, guys, we believe that God can do that through faith. And it changes everything. Faith changes everything, guys. Guys, maintain your faith in Jesus Christ, and you will recover. I can't predict how or when, but I can tell you that faith will find its way. You will recover. And I think, I, we're doing, at our pre-service prayer, we talked about this. I think you should expect to be surprised. That's what faith, like when you believe the absurdity of, of faith and what God can do, like you should expect to be surprised on a regular basis by what God has in store, by the restoration that can happen through the cross of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.20, some of my favorite verses. I don't know that Pastor Tom loved this verse. He used to teach on it all the time. Now all the glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work through us to accomplish, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more! That's the absurdity of faith. Infinitely more! And if recovering all were the end of David's story, it would have been an awesome story. But that's not the end of this story. Um, in an amazing twist of fate, David comes out of Ziglag, this catastrophe, with more than he had before. More than he had before. And this is the way of God when demonic calamity encounters divine grace. The worst day of your life can become a catalyst for a better tomorrow. It's the absurdity of faith and the cross. A better tomorrow. And guess what that is? It's just grace. It's just grace. You should never underestimate God's grace. Ever. Ever. To turn mourning into dancing. Ashes into beauty. That's what grace does. The psalmist cried out to God, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my cl clothes of mourning and have clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. What a beautiful psalm. Uh, in 1499, Michelangelo completed his masterpiece sculpture, the Pieta. Um, it's this marble sculpture that's found in Rome, and it's in St. Peter's Basilica. 
And um, so it's this gorgeous marble piece that took years to make, okay? And um, in 1972, a vandal came. And a vandal walked in with a sledgehammer. And they went to the piazza and they took 15 blows upon this. It looks like this, though. If you know what it looks like. 15 blows. And just so you know what the piazza is, it's, it's, uh, it's Mary holding Jesus after he had just died and got taken down from the cross, okay? 15 blows to the piazza. And um, everybody looked at it. it. Word traveled around the globe in 1972 when this happened. And everybody's like, er, art lovers from around the globe were saying, what in the world? How could that ever happen? Why would somebody ever do that? Are you kidding me? And it looked like this sculpture was marred beyond, be, beyond anything. People said, we just have to... We have to take it out of P St. Peter's Basilica now. It's, it's been destroyed. It was that bad. But guess what? It was, a, I mean, it was an irre irreplaceable masterpiece. It's lost in a senseless act of violence, right? Vandalism. But there were restoration artists that said, nope, we can fix it. We can fix this thing. They were convinced that the, that the piazza could be saved. And so they, uh, this whole team worked on it for 12 months long. 12 months! And after 12 months, it was restored to its original beauty. Today, the piazza is not just a celebration of beauty. It is now also a celebration of recovery. It's a celebration of recovery. Do you guys know that Jesus is a restoration artist? Jesus is a restoration artist. He came to restore humanity, vandalized by a deranged fallen angel who attacked the human race. Satan wielded vicious blows upon God's masterpiece. And if you don't know what God's masterpiece is, that's like me and you. Satan wielded vicious blows against us, God's masterpiece, and it appeared to be marred beyond human recognition. But on the cross, but on the cross, but on the cross, Jesus absorbed our sin sickness in his own body and turned it into salvation. God turned ugliness of sin into, the, into beautiful salvation. And guess what? That's what Jesus always does. That's what God's been into since the very beginning. God's been into grace. This is what happened. Uh, if you think about the cross itself, it, it's always, it, like, I love this symbol, right? But behind this symbol, there's a whole story. Now, if you lived 2,000 years ago, and you decided to put that up in your living room, or maybe town hall or a church, people would be like, what? Because guess what? It was ugly. It did not symbolize the way we understand it today. But guess what Jesus did? Jesus took 
these two pieces of wood that the rest of society would have been revolted by, and he's turned it into something beautiful. And so when we see a cross today, it's been pictured in thousands of pieces of artwork. It's become this piece of beauty. Something, two pieces of wood that, that are used for crucifixion has become something absolutely beautiful. And that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus is into. Jesus transformed the cross from ugliness to beauty. And I found, I've found that the times that were most painful in my life, the most undesirable times, have eventually become a whole, have been used to break through in whole new areas of my life. These areas that were ugly and miserable and they were the worst days of my life, somehow God turned that into something beautiful in the end. And you don't understand how. Sometimes I never understood when. But guess what? In the end, that's what God is into, and it's called grace. The hammer and chisel may have been used for painful events, even events intended by the evil one for the work of destruction in your life. But in the end, it's been the hammer and chisel have been used as a tool of God's grace. God's grace. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You guys, this was not common faith. This is not common faith. This is exceptional faith. This is audacious faith. This is like heroic faith of Hebrews 11. That's what this is. That's what this is, guys. That's what we're talking about today. David and his men, they loaded up the spoils from their great victory after the Malachites, and they returned home with their family and all their possessions. And what David did with the wealth reveals one of the reasons why I believe that God called him a man after my own heart. And here's what David did. He recovers all, he celebrates with his family and his men, and the next thing that David did, he gives an offering of the spoils to over 13, or 13 over 14, 13, 14 different destinations in Judah at the time. So here is 1 Samuel 30, verse 26. When David arrived at Ziklag, David spent part of, sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends. Here is a present for you, taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. The gifts were sent to the people of the following towns. And the next paragraph is all the areas that David sent these gifts to. Gold, silver, sheep, goats. He just sends, sends it along, gives it away. Um, there was this pastor that was greeted at the door uh, by a little boy named Luke. And this is a true story that happened like 50 years ago, so it sounds dated at first. But little Luke goes to the pastor and said, Hey, pastor, we were going to give you a chicken... And we're going to bring the chicken to church today, but it got better. 
Okay, so it, it takes some time to sink in. Um, I, I think I shared this one at last Thanksgiving with you, but it's a good one. Um, Butterball Turkey, there's a two-line Butterball Turkey Company. They set up a hotline to answer consumer report or consumer questions about turkey holiday, holiday turkeys. And um, this woman called in and she said, "My, I've had a turkey in my freezer for 23 years. And I'm calling in to see if it's safe. Is it safe to eat or not? And the representative said, oh, hold on, let me ask some other people. She got put, because nobody's ever called with a turkey that's been in the freezer for 23 years. And so finally, the representative from Butterball comes back and says, you know what? It, if it's been kept below zero degrees for all 23 years, it might be safe. But the flavors probably deteriorated beyond what you could um, handle. So I would really encourage you to, to not eat it. And she, this is the woman's reply. This is a true story. Uh, that's what we thought. We'll just give it to the church. <laughs> Sometimes you want to give the sick chicken or the freezer-burned turkey to the church. But let me show you what David did here. Uh, so David, he recovered all, and the, his last act, he gives away. David prepared over 13 generous offerings of sheep, cattle, silver, and gold. Three days after David does this, King Saul died. Now, imagine the timing of this. So he gives away 13, 14 of these offerings to different areas. Guess what happened? King Saul, three days later, dies, Okay. Shortly after this, David is made king of Judah. David's situation totally changed. Hard times, guys, they seem like they go on endlessly. And all of a sudden, there's breakthrough. And God shifts something. And God's grace comes down in our situation. And God turns everything around. And it's called grace. That's what happened in overnight. This is what happened in David's life. David just didn't go back to Zigleg, guys. He goes back to Zigleg. He sends this offering out all over Judah. And then guess what? His prophetic destiny of becoming king, that, that he was told that 15 years earlier, 15 years earlier, and finally it all happens. Right after he has this major win, he recovers all, but then he gives. He gives. David's final act before becoming king was to give to others. The story of Ziglag doesn't end with David getting back what's been stolen from him. The story ends with David giving to others and being promoted by God to his destiny. It's the value of giving that's the final lesson to learn from David on the worst day of his life. So let me give you a couple practical tips today. Number one, put your hope and trust in God who specializes in turning mourning into dancing and ashes into beauty. Tell God in the middle of the worst day of your life that you trust him to recover all. And if you haven't had that conversation with God, I want to encourage that. That's why I had to put it in practical tips because sometimes we just forget God. 
I don't know how, I don't know when, but God, I trust you. I trust you, and that's this a little bit of faith rising up in you to see a different destiny, to see things change, to not be stuck in your tragedy anymore. Do you have a little bit of faith to say, God, I trust you in this situation? And I want you to just, in your own way, just say, God, I trust you with where I am at right here now. Because it's the absurd nature of faith. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Number two. Sometimes God allows painful experiences into our lives so that we can understand and help alleviate the pain of others. Somehow our suffering can become a form of redemptive suffering so that we might have a genuine capacity to give restorative grace to others. John, what do you mean? Well, sometimes... The worst things in my life that I thought have gone horribly wrong. I've trusted God. I've said that for God. I trust you. I don't get the situation. But in the end, God has used that in my life to help maybe some of you and other people that I've met in my journey. And God uses it in some way to change this world. So do you have... Do you have personal experience from the pain of poverty or the agony of addiction or the devastation of divorce or the knife wound of betrayal or the embarrassment of bankruptcy or the despair of failure or the soul-crushing ache of real loss? Has God, by his grace, brought you beyond that worst day of your life? If God has... Be sure of this, he didn't just do it for you, he did it also for other people. So that you might give restorative grace to those people around you. Okay? Make sense? Now if you're in the middle of a tragedy, that's not necessarily fun to hear, okay? It's, but let me tell you, once you're through it, use your story. Share your story of how God redeemed and brought grace to your situation. You will be able to help dozens and dozens of people. And so much of the time, I feel like there's the church where we're like, sometimes we just smile and say, everything's fine, everything's good. No, we've been through pain. This has been difficult. And sometimes we have the worst day of our life, and sometimes we just have to say, we're praying for one another. And I've been there, and I, I saw God take me through this thing. And God will get you through. Hold on, believe, hold on. Let me pray for you. And that is supporting one another in the middle of the worst day of our life. And number three, just so you know, I tricked you, I have four today. Normally I have three. But number three, practice giving generously, bountifully, open-handedly, free-heartedly, and lavishly. Don't fear giving and don't live with a scarcity mindset that prevents you from giving. And I love that David's story here, the end of David's story, is one where he just opens his hands up and he just gives, gives, and gives, and gives. And it wasn't just one, it wasn't, you know, the half-dead chicken, it, it wasn't the, the 23-year-old turkey, it was like the very best that David had, he was willing to just give it away, have to send out these offerings. 
okay? So push into being generous. Push into that. It's a kingdom value. So jump in. Be generous. Ask the Holy Spirit what that means for you. And number four, out of gratitude, give your time and energy to the building of the church. Sign up for a ministry that matches your gifts and passions at today's ministry fair. Um, so we set up, there's tables out there, and there's one table that says, uh, it says secret service. So that's a team that's going to go do things behind the scenes. Get little things done. Little things done that nobody sees. It's not up front. It's not anything that's public. It's just these little things that have to be done to help our church community move forward. So that's our secret service team. So maybe that's you. Maybe you, maybe you want to do something small each week. Um, that's a great team to just be a part of, to dive into. Or maybe you want to jump into kids ministry. Or maybe you want to jump into one of the other ministries or helping hands. Jump in. Jump in. Your soul will be better. And it builds the church for God's purpose and plan in society. So I want to encourage you to stay. Um, if I'm not, just so you know, I'm, if you're here and you're like, John, I volunteer 28 areas in the church. I'm not talking to you. Okay, I'm talking to those of you. So most of those 28 people, the, if you do 28 things, um, you don't have to sign up for a single thing today. Okay, don't do that. Actually, I would encourage you to not put your name on anything. But for those of you that are like, well, what am I doing? Are we just sitting in a, a chair and a pew each week just absorbing? And there's a certain point where we say, no, we want to give. We want to give. That's David's response to God's great grace was to give. So what does that look like for you? What does that look like? So I would encourage you to just walk around. Let the deacon team try to recruit you. Help fix up our facilities. Let let the uh, the different teams let, let let them like God. Which one do, would work for my situation at this time in my life? And some of them have a lower commitment. Some of them have higher commitments. Just pick one that works for you. That fits your gifts. Okay. Don't do one that sounds painful. Do one that you'd be encouraged by. Okay. Okay, let's all stand. And we're going to sing this last song. If you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus and you haven't experienced grace and you haven't experienced God coming into your life and just like changing everything, when you walk away feeling like a brand new woman or brand new man, God is up to that in your life today. And so um, I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute. If that's you and you want to say, God, I give my life to you, I just want you to repeat this prayer, okay? It's actually really simple. And what we're saying is, God, I've really messed up my life, and I've hurt myself, and I've hurt people around me, and God, I've hurt you. And so I ask you to come into my life and set me free and turn around this sin sickness that I inherited. And Jesus, today, I want to, I choose you. I choose your purpose. I choose your plan. So um, if that's you, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. 
I've made a lot of mistakes. I've, I've hurt myself. I've hurt people around me. And God, I've hurt you. And so I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of all my sin and set my feet on a, this brand new path to pursue and to love you. And God, this morning I want this ongoing conversational relationship with you. I want to develop that connection with you and your heart. I want to know what life with God is and looks like. So God, I give my whole life to you, all that I am, all that I'm becoming. I give everything to you. And God, I, I believe that today, I don't, I don't just believe in your death and resurrection. God, today I believe in this thing called faith and this thing called grace. Help me live in that. Help me embody that. Help me be a part of that. Help that be my experience. When everything is shaded and difficult and dark around me, help me to believe in the absurdity of belief and faith in you. So Holy Spirit, come fill me up. sing this last song, and as we do that, why don't we have our prayer ministry team come, and if you need prayer this morning, we would love to pray for you. Some of you are here, and you're like, I've just experienced the worst day of my life, and I need prayer. We'd love to pray for you for that, or maybe you're here, and you're saying, you know what? I don't have a vision to recover all in my life. If that's you, and you don't have a vision to recover, God wants to give you a vision today. So they would love to pray for you for that. Or maybe you're here today and you are a generous person. We want to bless generosity this morning. If you see yourself as a generous person that is wide open hands, I want you to just say, would you bless that even more over my life with our prayer team? They would love to pray for you for that. Um, couple things that came up in our pre-service prayer. Um, if you have asthma, we'd love to pray for that today. Allergies and bone issues. Physical bone issues. We're going to pray for that this morning. Um, and the last thing, if you're here today and somebody spoke words, somebody that you thought loved you spoke words that stuck to your soul, your heart, and um, and they were words of hate and disrespect, and they were words to cut you down. The Holy Spirit wants to bring healing to you this morning. So those words that they it's like they stuck to your soul and you believed them, and the Holy Spirit this morning just wants to like give you some freedom from those words, okay? So let's um, let's sing this last song together. Right when we're done with our, with our barbecue, so stick around for some lunch. It's going to be great. But if that's you and you need some prayer, prayer partners up front, let's sing this song together. And this, afterwards, we'll have our closing prayer. But um, let's sing, and if you need prayer, come on up. Come on up.